Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Hebron. Not Hebron, Judea, Israel, but rather the Hebron office in beautiful Brooklyn, New York. That's right. I'm in Brooklyn, and I'm broadcasting from Brooklyn, uh, which is, as those people who have been listening to my show for some time know that that happens from time to time, that I'm on the road. And when I'm on the road, I always end up, uh, all roads lead back to the Brooklyn office, uh, and uh, I have a special place in my heart for Brooklyn uh, and for New York, being that I'm from these areas, uh, or at least grew up here is more correct to say. And uh, just, you know, the Alta Haim, the old world, still still speaks to me, even though I'm a you know, devout Zionist, and this show is all about the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel and the Torah of Israel. But, you know, it's, uh, it's a sophisticated and delicate and, and, and um, not very simple formula. <clears throat> the Jewish people are always dancing around uh, uh, redemption and diaspora. It's just part of the formula of the Jewish people uh, throughout time. Even in this week's Torah portion, uh, our forefather Yaakov is having his best years, <clears throat> and they're in the diaspora, what I call the Boca years. Uh, the 17 years uh, that, that, that Jacob Yaakov Avinu has in, um, not in Florida, but rather in Egypt, <clears throat> in Cairo, and Fustat, who knows what it was really called there, what exact city they were at. Uh, actually, we do know that they were in the land of Goshen, in the land of Goshen, which is, uh, I think, really in the Delta Nile, in the Nile Delta, excuse me, not the Delta Nile, the Nile Delta. In any case... Um, we have a great show for you today, something very, very special, truly special. Uh, I was on a fishing boat, and instead of just fishing, as we were boating out to sea, I got to speak to an incredible young rabbi and teacher whose story is incredible because he grew up Catholic, uh, for all intents and purposes, was totally Catholic, until uh, a, miracle tried to, uh, <laughs> a miracle showed itself to him, uh, and a knowledge opened itself up to him about his, uh, his Jewish tradition and faith and heritage, uh, who he was, uh, and how he got to it. So let's get right to it. Uh, my interview uh, with Rabbi Devlin, uh, Rabbi Matisiao Devlin, on a fishing boat that happened in Florida here on the road. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show, and I'm on a, I'm on a charter boat. I'm on a fishing boat here in beautiful uh, uh, Miami area. Um, I think I'm in the intercoastal right now. Is that right? And I think we're heading out to the Atlantic to do a little bit of fishing, and and we gotta catch fish and watch out that those fish are not gonna get caught by sharks. It's a whole thing. It's crazy things, and that's the fun stuff that happens in Miami. I'm also uh, here at the IAC conference, the uh, Israel America Conference uh, Coalition Conference Summit. Really great conference. I enjoyed it so much, and I met a lot of. Uh, great Jews, great Israelis living in America, great Israelis living in Israel coming to America. It was just a great, you know, it was like, it was better than APAC, so much more fun uh, than uh, than conferences that have been in the past. I really enjoyed it, and I think maybe it was the Florida and the Israeliness. It was really fun. I also met a, um, a wounded soldier, my friend Uri, uh, who now is fishing with us. Uri, so great to be with you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for having, for having me here. And I'm sorry that you lost your hand, but you're, you're still very handy. You're very strong with... With only one hand, you're still doing great stuff. And we're going fishing now. That's right. And he loves fishing, so I bumped into him yesterday. And on this boat is also um, my friend Ori Schwartz is taking me boating, uh, but not personally, but rather with a whole class, uh, fourth grade class of uh, young Jewish boys looking great with seat out. And they're in a Chabad school system. 
uh, which is great. And uh, you guys know that I'm so very friendly with Chabad and enjoy it so much. And so uh, Ori Schwartz is taking me. His kids are there. And amongst them is also one of their teachers, um, who's uh, a Chabad rabbi with a gingy beard. And he looks a little Irish, but that's because he's got a, an amazing story about uh, an Irish father being an uh, Irish Roman Catholic father, uh, being one of 11, uh, and not knowing that he was uh, Jewish, and not knowing the importance of that for sure, but that's what it turned out. And now, I'm sitting right next to him. His name is Matisseau Devlin? Yes. That's right, Matisseau. And I'm so excited to be with you. It's great to be with you on this boat today. Yeah, good morning. I'm, I'm happy to run into you and meet you. I saw you on Twitter for the last few years, and now in, in the flesh. That's right. I, I love Twitter. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Matisseau, uh, you're a big, bad Jew. I can see it on you. You're a, you're a strong and big, bad Jew. You got a big... Uh, a gingy colored or you know what's it called in English what do they call it redhead colored beard uh, and you got a when I first saw you you have this like stern look but I could see that you're uh, you're a really fun and amazing person tell me a little bit about about where you started your life so I grew up in York Pennsylvania a small city in southern PA and I grew up there going to church on Sundays my father as you mentioned is a Roman Catholic he's a devout Catholic and we grew up, we knew our mother was Jewish always, my ten siblings and I, but for us we were always Catholic. We went to church on Sundays, went to Catholic school, we celebrated all the holidays. And we were, you know, as we got older, we were teenagers, maybe we weren't so into it anymore, but we were always considered ourselves uh, Roman Catholic. All right, so keep going. Sure. You, you, you're Roman Catholic. Um, that's a nice religion, okay? At least yeah. it's a godly religion. And was your, was your dad a believer? Were you guys believing Christians? Right. We, I mean, we were like we were like a poster family, so to speak, in our, in our parish community. Big family. Um, my father's a doctor, so he was like on the board and stuff in the church. We're all altar boys. We sang in the choir. We wow. were really involved. We volunteered. You know, we, we did everything. Um, you know, very friendly with the, the priests uh, at the at the church. And, I mean, really what happened was as I was, as I was growing up at a certain age, when I, mean, I was 12, 13, I started having different doubts and questions. I don't think anything unlike any ordinary, uh, any ordinary child. Um, but I really was, you know, I was kind of a thinker and intellectual, and I really wanted certain things answered. And I wasn't just, like, throwing my religion out. I, since I grew up with faith, faith was something very important to me. Religion was important. Believing in God, it was a value that, that was instilled in me uh, by my father. Um, and at a certain point in my teenage years, I started going to other churches, mm. which actually my father would, I would have to go to church twice because to my father, going to another church on Sunday didn't count. So I'd have to wake up and go to the early mass, as it's called in the Catholic church. And then I'd go to like another church service to see what their church is like. And I began looking at other religions. And during this time, it was just like a real period of rebellion for me. I was getting in a lot of trouble. It's was, really rebellious going to other churches. Well... <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it started, but definitely not how it ended. Um, I was in detention all the time. I was running from the police at a certain point. Um, what would you get involved in? Um, you know, I was breaking into cars. I was breaking into people's garages. Oh, so you really went criminal. I, was, um, I, I wasn't called ever for, for anything until um, my senior year. Um, what, you were a punk? Your dad thought you were a punk? I was, uh, I mean, personally, I was, I got into skateboarding. And, you know, so I was living that kind of lifestyle. I smoked a lot of weed. I mean, I did a lot of other drugs, too. But mostly on the outside, I look like a stoner, you know. Right. And my senior year, um, I was smoking up in the bathroom at my high school, my Catholic high school. And someone 
like kind of like my arch nemesis in the school, like ratted me out. And the uh, disciplinarian of the school came to my class. I think it was like third period. I was in um, business class, I remember. And I came, he, he made, come down to my office, bring all your bags, bring all your stuff. And I was like, that's it, I'm done for. Like, I, I, ha- I, have, I have a bag of weed in my pocket. And I know that's what he's going to try to get me for. And he's making all these comments like, you know, I for sure have drugs, um, which he wasn't wrong. And I ended up, like, ditching it somehow. And I had a pocket knife in my backpack. So I really ended up getting expelled because I had a small, like a small Swiss Army knife. But it was like a buildup for years. They, you know, I was, I was always getting in trouble. And they were looking for the excuse to kick me out. Um, my family was not, like, the most uh, liked family. We weren't, like, the big athletes in the school. We weren't, like, with, like, the Italian last name that was, like, your father and grandfather went to the school, you know. So um, they expelled me. I was actually arrested. They called the police. I was arrested um, for um, uh, whatever, some misdemeanor for something. Possession. Possession of a, of a weapon on school property. I don't know, something like that. Right. So... Um, I, I was basically within a few days I was no longer living in my parents' house I started to rent my own apartment I was 18 at the time and about a month later I was evicted from the apartment I was throwing parties every night they evicted me for too much noise and everything and then soon after that I just decided I'm, I'm, I'm leaving there's nothing for me here um, I, had, I hadn't paid the fines I owed for that, for that arrest so then I was like pulled over for an arrest warrant and they were like, they were nice. They're like, okay, like we're gonna add an additional fee, but you really have to pay it by this time, or like, you know, um, which I also didn't end up paying. And I just left. Like, I just got in my car, and I started driving. And I thought, I'm gonna just like find where I belong in this world. Um, you know, I had an idea. I wanted to go to California, and I just, uh, you know, got on the highway, saw a sign for New York, and I thought, okay, New York sounds cool. I'll go to, uh, I'll go to New York, and uh, I'll hang out, and I'll see what's going on over there. So I get to New York and I don't know, I'm there for like a week or two. My car gets impounded and I have no money to get it out. So I'm sleeping on park benches. I'm sleeping in the subway. And like, I was fine for me. I was like, to me, I was like, like, I'm totally cool. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm surviving. I still have a little money in my pocket. Like, I'm not like a wreck. You know, I'm not like, you know, I'm fine. I'm going to get by. And after doing that for a few weeks... Um, it was really cold. This is in the winter. So, and then in the subway, someone tried to rob me in the subway. So then one night, I'm like, okay, I have to find, like, somewhere more safe and, and warm. So I walk into a, a 24-hour Starbucks in Manhattan. And I just put my head down on the table. Just, like, go to sleep, you know. And I figured the worst thing is they'll, they'll kick me out. You know, now you get kicked out of Starbucks. The last couple of years, the, you get to make a whole, you get to sue them, the whole thing. It wasn't so exciting back then. So I, um, I wake up in the middle of the night. And there's another teenage boy, teenage girl, sitting at the table next to me. And this boy has, uh, you know, this little thing on his head that I know it's something that Jews wear, wear on their head. So I start thinking to myself, he's Jewish, my mother's Jewish. I start a conversation. I never had a problem to, you know, talk to people. I'm very I'm outgoing like that, very social. So I said, hey, what's up? Uh, you guys are Jewish? And he's like, yeah. He, he grabs his keep and he says, yeah, obviously. And, you know, nice warm New Yorkers. And I said... No offense to New Yorkers listening. I said, oh, that's cool. My, my mom's a Jew. So he looks at me kind of funny and he says, so you're Jewish? I said, me, Jewish? No, like, I'm, I'm Catholic. I was baptized. I don't really believe in that stuff. But, um, you know, I'm not Jewish. In my mind, I'm thinking, like, Jews were not exactly people that were looked up to. You know, the way I grew up, the place I grew up. You know, there was kind of a hierarchy that, 
you know, Catholics were, you know, like the cream of the crop of society. Uh-huh. And, um, and, you know, all the other Christians basically, anyways, are going to burn in hell. Aside from the fact they're not as good as us, they're anyways going to burn in hell. And let alone the Jews, they're like, the Jews, oh man, you know, they're, they're down there. Um, that, that's just, that's how it was. There's, some of the people are laughing, you know, that's, that's what I grew up with. So I never had any animus against Jewish people, but if someone's going to suggest to me I'm Jewish, I'm like, mm, no thank you, like, like, you're cool, I like you guys, but that's not me. So he says to me, listen, if you're baptized, church, that stuff doesn't matter. Your mother's a Jew, she has a Jewish soul. When she gave birth to you, she passed a Jewish soul to you. Well, this guy gave you the spiel. This guy, we're talking a 16-year-old kid. 16-year-old kid, okay? And and I'm like, all right, that actually sounds kind of interesting, you know? Um, just kind of this, like, spiritual, I don't know, just something was, it spoke to me. So we end up talking all through the night. This was, like, midnight, one in the morning. When, when we, like, parted ways, it was already daylight. We spoke for hours and hours. Now, this kid's name is Mendy. What was he doing? What did he, what, he had hours in the middle of the night to talk to a skater bum type of guy? This, this was Mendy who was just kicked out of like his like fifth yeshiva he was kicked out of. <laughs> hanging out kindred hang, spirit. Hanging out with some girl, you know, like a kid from a from family. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, it was like me, you know, we're, we're on a, a kind of a similar place in life. Are you still friends today with him? Yeah, yeah, I'm friends with him until today. We talk about once a year. And, and he starts telling me all kinds of things about Judaism. Uh, he starts to tell me different things about Chabad. He's from a Chabad family. And he tells me about he tells about the Rebbe. He shows me a picture of the Rebbe, which was something that was very powerful to me. And then, I find that also, you know, I, I, the other day, somebody asked me, if they, these Christians asked me if I had a, this dollar that they heard about. Yeah. So I took out my dollar, but I also yeah. took out the Rebbe picture and they held it. They were like, just the image. So it was, it was something that was really, you know, he, he asked me if I've ever heard, at some point in the conversation, we're talking like all things Jewish. And he asks me, have you ever heard of the Lubavitcher Rebbe? And of course, I'm like, I don't have no idea what he just said. Like, I don't know he's talking about a person, let alone the Rebbe. And he's like, oh, you probably heard his name. So he says, you know, he tells me the Rebbe's name. Like, you know, now I have a son, Menachem Mendel, you know, but like, at the time, again, I'm like, I don't even know that's a name. I don't know what he just said to me. So he says, let me show you a picture of the Rebbe. You for sure have seen the most famous rabbi in the world. You know, he's a kid from a Lubavitch. He assumes the whole world has heard of the Rebbe. And he takes out, takes out this picture of the Rebbe. And in that moment, when I look at the picture of the Rebbe, it was, it was something that I didn't tell people about this probably for like, I don't know, two years because I felt like people think I'm crazy, you know. And I look at the picture of it and I felt that the person in this picture, I'm not just looking at a photo, that this person is kind of like here. Like somehow this person is actually here kind of telling me like, like listen to what this boy's telling you. Don't try to just get a dollar out of him. He's telling you something about your life. So at that point, I'm like, let me really listen to this Mendy. Let me hear what he like. Let me really hear what he has to say. So the next thing he tells me is, you know, if you're, if you're Jewish and you're not sure what to do in life, you should go to this place called 770. And I'm like, I, I, I've never heard of 770. I don't, I don't have a clue what he's talking about. I don't know that he's going to, like, send me to, like, the Chabad World headquarters, you know. He tells me, go to this place and everything's going to work out. And I'm like, I, have anything, I don't have anything to do with my life anyway. So, okay, let's go there. He tells me, get on the three train, get off at Kingston Avenue. So I come to 770. And... I walk just inside. There's like a lobby. It's coffee, and there's Rebbe videos playing. And I have no idea what do you do in, in a place. First, I've never been to a synagogue, let alone like a shul, seven seventy. I don't know what you do. So a guy quickly approaches me, starts to speak to me in some foreign language. I'm a typical American. I only know English, you know, uh, at at the time. So um, I'm assuming it's Hebrew. I know there's like Yiddish. I know because my 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 bubby, Oliva Shalom, she spoke Yiddish. And maybe there's other Jewish languages, and I'm like, hey, dude, uh, do you speak English? 
you know, I'm like shoulder length hair, torn jeans, you know, which is in a place like 770, it's not so uncommon. Right, People are coming of, from all over the world. Right. It used to be a, a, a capital for Jew boos and, right. and was, weirdos. You know, and and so like, even though the typical person in 770 has a black hat and, you know, uh, you know, a beard, but like, it wouldn't be uncommon. So, I'm, so he's like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 hat, hat, co- cover your head. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so he gives me, you know, the little, like, thing that I know Jews wear on their head, and uh, he puts it, puts it on my head, and he's like, and he looks at me, and he says, no, tefillin, tefillin. And I'm like, what? And he's like, and he starts, you know, doing this, like, sign language, wrapping his hand around his arm and pointing, you know, to his forehead. And he's like, no, 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 tefillin, tefillin. And I'm like, listen, dude, I told you, I only speak English. Like, tell me in English. I'm happy to oblige. Like, I'm excited to be here, you know? And the kids are, I put on tefillin. And have probably like the, what's like the most powerful experience of my life, where I don't have a clue what it is. I'm in this place where I'm actually, I was excited at first, but now I'm starting to feel a little bit weird. I'm surrounded by thousands of people wearing this weird strap on their arm. They have this like sheet around their head with these strings, and like everyone's shaking around. And like I'm starting to feel like ah, it's kind of a weird place. You know like, what? The way you just described it, it does. It is a weird scene. It sounds weird. Imagine never saw it in your life. Remember, I never met Jewish people, right. let alone from Jewish people. I didn't meet any Jewish. You know, I never saw such a thing in my life. I saw maybe fiddle on the roof a few times, but like I never like saw like in, that. It was like I never expect to be a real life. But that thing, is you know? a good movie, isn't it? That does do something. Fiddler on the roof. It gives you. I've always thought that that movie was one of the greats. It does. It right. does give a, a feeling of what it is to be Jewish. So, I mean, it, it obviously, it has, there, there are the controversial issues that, that we would have with it, but th- there is a certain idea of the Russian Jews and the beards and the way they're dressed and everything. But it was just like, it was weird to me. It was very strange and almost off-putting. Ima- this is my first Jewish experience in my life. But now when I'm wearing tefillin and I'm saying Shema, and when I get to the end and I said it in English, so I said truth, okay, finish off, say truth. And in that moment I have almost like like a flash of my life where I kind of recognized that everything that happened to me since I was a kid you know whatever decisions I made whatever bigger little occurrences all led to me to be here and not that this was like the climax of my life but just the recognition that that there's a shkacha protest in the world I grew up learning about divine providence as, as a religious catholic and to me I like since I was a teenager I always thought it was like some made up right. thing so, so that, this you is know, what I wanted to ask you uh, your catholic faith did it? Did it? Did it? Um, did it? Did it affect or, or inform? That was the word I was looking right, for. Sure. Inform your Judaism, and does it still inform your Judaism? And uh, an addendum question, which is: Do you think that there is wisdom, useful wisdom, in Catholicism and other things that 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 that, that is actually useful and actually could be kind of like I oftentimes right. think: Yes, they do have a way. They have a way of saying certain things. They have a way of presenting certain things, which is good and useful. So, there definitely were many things from my Catholic upbringing, um, both in, in the, the belief side of it, and even in the, um, you know, Catholics are very, they're very into tradition and, and rituals and rites. And children. So, and children, clearly. Um, no, that's a big deal. It is a big deal. Now, so today it's not as common anymore to have the big families. Like, my family was the outlier. Um, for us, it was like the next biggest family we knew was seven kids, and we were already 11. And the seven family kids was considered a big family. Um, but so there were certain things that did um, almost like help me like ease my way into being a frum yid. There were definitely plenty of things like, for example, the beliefs I had as to like who and what the Messiah is. Like once I when I, when I first came to be frum, I was like, oh, that must be like that's like what the Messiah is like, like the Son of God, or you know, you know that kind of idea. 
So there were certain things that had to almost like unlearn, so to speak, and 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 see what it is we really believe. Yeah, but but the idea that there is a messianic the vision. Right. So you know the idea that there is right, uh, you know, messianic era and those types of things were things that I had already been f- familiar with growing up. Um, Do you and, have a heart, as as they say in the Protestant world here in America? Do you have a heart for? Uh, Catholics, Christians in general, do you do you feel a certain kinship, friendship to them, or 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 has you uh, because of your life trajectory, have you just like left them totally, or do you feel a certain friendship, kinship? I think the I don't think with with Catholics, or, you know, in general, I, I would say other other Balichuba like myself who grew up with a Catholic father or even with a Catholic mother that converted, um, like they themselves converted but grew up in Catholicism I do feel very connected to them and I feel a lot of times when I meet other people that grew up having gone to Catholic school and went to church and went through you know the whole you know the whole nine yards of it and then you know you know became from or converted I do find that we have a lot in common a lot to talk about um, something's very positive about our upbringing that we kind of share you know a drink over and some things maybe that we're like we feel like is maybe a downside to the way that, that, that we're brought up um, and as for the general the general theme of Christianity or, or Catholicism um, as a whole and the message they have, you know, I do think there are good things. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, everyone can find complaints about everyone. And obviously, as Jews, we can find all those times in history when the Catholic Church did not great things to us. And I can look today and see, like, at least in my home city, the general uh, notion of Catholics towards Jews was not the greatest. But, you know, th- there are certain things within you know, uh, Christian dogma, Catholic dogma, that definitely do, at least for non-Jews, do provide a very good message for them. And I do see a certain value to that. Um, I mean, we were talking about the Messiah before, so first of all, you have the whole idea that, you know, the Rambam said that this whole purpose, and even a good purpose of why Christianity and, and Islam came to be was, they spread the idea of a messianic era to the entire world, right? Before the Jews, no such thing. Now, the and majority mono- of the world monotheism. believes. Monotheism in general, right? You know, and... Um, and, um, and and other good things also, you know, you know, obviously the amount of charity they do for the world and just good things they do. And, and the fact that a person has a certain fear of God and fear of heaven, even if it's not how we would say is, you know, the correct way. It was a famous thing. I don't remember if it was the Baal Shem Tov or one of the other, you know, early Hasidic leaders. Um, it was a thing that one time his wagon driver, he didn't uh, cross himself when they went past a church or some type of Christian monument. And he asked him, like, why didn't you, uh, why didn't you cross yourself? That's what, that's, what you, that's what your religion does. And he kind of motioned like he doesn't really care. So he fired him. He's like, I, I can't have, can I have such a person? Like, I need a person that fears God to be my wagon driver. So it was an important value. You talk even the Baal Shem Tov or whichever early Hasidic leader it was. They story. saw a value, right? They saw a certain value in that, that a non-Jew should have a certain fear of God and, and, and it's okay if it comes from their from their faith from their own religion not not the way we dictate it to them alright let's just fast forward and, and yeah. finish up We're, we, so, gotta, we gotta get finish, sure. we gotta get fishing soon right, here's my question to you let's fast forward today I see that you're not only an orthodox believing Jew but you're also a teacher sure you're you're a rabbi you're married you're, you, you got a Jewish family sure so what ended up happening was I ended up spending five years learning yeshiva and I had its up and downs and I learned for, for, for a little while in yeshiva for a few months I ended up moving back home with my, with my parents and my siblings wow. and I, I wasn't religious anymore at that point but it kind of gave me a certain yesod that later when I was ready for it if, like I went through a whole accident I almost died I was skateboarding I fractured my skull I was in the hospital in a coma and after that happened and obviously people go through life and death experience you know um, 
And at that point, I was like, it was almost the high holidays. I went to um, a Chabad house in my hometown for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. And then it was more organic. It wasn't like I was just like thrown into like the heart of headquarters of Chabad in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. And just like I was excited. And of course, like, of course, I'm going to do everything. Here it was like I'm at home where there's no Jews, let alone from Jews. And it was more organic. And I started taking on, you know, uh, mitzvahs and started becoming religious again. Ended up going back to yeshiva for about five years. Um, during that time was when I got my smicha. And I was introduced to my wife through mutual friends of ours. And obviously we liked each other because we, we got married. We're married now seven years. Um, and we have three children, Kananahara. And, uh, you know, Baruch Hashem, it was really, uh, we, we, we were shluchim in California. We were Chabad shluchim on uh, campus in California for a few years. And then it didn't work out. So we relocated here to Miami where my, uh, my in-laws live. And um, I work as a teacher, which honestly, as, as much as it was like the dream to be a shliach, you know, in Chabad, it's like to be a shliach is like the cream of the crop. It's like, and it was a huge privilege to me to be the Rebbe's emissary um, is, is a huge privilege, especially as someone who didn't grow up religious as, you know, almost like an outsider, so to speak. But when I moved to Florida and I ended up getting into Chinuch and became a teacher in a Chabad school, there was something I realized like, there's a privilege to being a teacher and I think anyone that's a teacher it doesn't matter Jewish, non-Jewish, religious to be a teacher people entrust you the education of their kids it's a big honor and I realized that as someone who grew up not only not religious but I grew up in a whole other religion religious in another religion and, and people are willing year after year to entrust me Lubavitcher kids Jewish kids um, and they're willing to like let me be a huge part of the kids education yeah it's like what an honor, what a privilege, and and that's like almost something that keeps me going as a teacher. Love it, you know. And you took on a Hebrew name. Yeah. So my growing up, my name was Matthew. Um, actually, Matthew Christopher was my name. Wow. And and so I always thought, have you know, this is a nice uh, Catholic name, you know. And when I became when I came to yeshiva, one of the rabbis said, you know, you have to have a Jewish name. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, you know, like when you were born, your mother probably gave you a Jewish name, you know, by your bris And I was like, I was circumcised by, doc- by the doctor, you know. So I call my mother. And I say, hey, mom, I need a Jewish name. And she's like, well, you know, actually when you were born, I chose your first name um, because it, was, uh, it comes from Hebrew. And your father chose, you know, Christopher chose your middle name. So I, I always thought my mother was doing me lip service. But fine, you Matthew, you know, I always knew it comes from Hebrew, means gift of God. And I asked someone in the yeshiva, they said, oh, it comes from the name Matisio. Okay, Matisio, I, I liked. Anyways, one thing I always did was celebrate Hanukkah growing up. Uh-huh. Like my, my, mother's, my mother's lasting connection to Judaism was always Hanukkah. And my mother actually grew up keeping kosher, keeping Shabbos when she was a kid. Wow. They were, she didn't say they were fruit, but they were traditional. Um, but they always kept Hanukkah, even after they stopped doing everything else. So when she married my father and bring up all of us Catholic, Hanukkah was always like a thing. So I like that. But I always thought my mother just wanted me to feel good, Matthew. It's not really a typical Jewish name, even though it does come from Hebrew. A couple years later, I was going through with this like baby calendar, first year calendar, you know. And in the back, my mother had, had written me a letter and I never saw it before. And I'm reading this letter and in the letter she says, I'm giving you the name Matthew which comes from Hebrew, it means gift of God. So you should always know you have a Jewish heritage. And even though she never actually instilled that in me, but I thought from all the kids, I mean, you know, there's 11 of us, from all the kids that like, could have like, some one day became, you know, from and went to yeshiva and whatever, like the one that she like intentionally gave like a Jewish name to like know they were Jewish, like I'm the one that became from. You know, there's something to it, you know, there's something to that Ruch HaKadosh parents have when they name their kids, you know. Let's finish up with one last question. Sure. Your relationship today with your family? Yeah, so the relationship is amazing. 
Um, you know, it had its you know it had its uh, rocky points. Um, when I came to yeshiva, I made up with my mother entirely. Like my mother was just thrilled that I was in yeshiva. Wow. Um, my siblings were, you know, the younger ones were too young to really know anything was going on. My older siblings, some of them were a little concerned. They didn't know like what was this like weird Jewish thing? Is it a cult? Like they don't you know. They don't know. They were just concerned. But they're for Jews. Me. They, they are Jewish. And over time, they became, you know, respectful what I was doing, and they were even proud of me, and, and they understand. Um, I'm blessed to be in a family that's very, um, very understanding, very loving, very, um, they get it, you know. And, and some of them, it's because some of them are very, very liberal, so they really are into, like, I mean, everyone should accept people. They're very into, like, understanding different people, you know. Um, so, um, thank God. And even my father, which was the more difficult one, um, you know, we're great. I mean, my, my, it took a few years to come around and to rebuild our relationship. But my whole family, thank God, we're all very close. We talk every day. We have a group text that we're, with my siblings. We're always messaging, sometimes fighting, but we're always talking, and, and it's, it's amazing. Baruch Hashem, we have a very good relationship with all my siblings. And today, um, many of them are now, just, for example, Hanukkah, even though we grew up with it, so it would be, it's like almost like a normal thing for us, but it would only ever have been something we did in, with mom in her home. It would never in a million years would it be that like one of us would have celebrated Hanukkah in our own home. And what happened was a couple years ago, my son, he was four at the time, about to turn five. And he tells me, he says, he says, Ta, you know, my cousins, they don't know anything about Yiddishkeit. So I'm responsible for them. I have to take care of them. So I'm like, all right, Mendel, what do, what do you want to do? What does that mean? So he's like, well, it's almost Hanukkah. I want to send them all a menorah for Hanukkah. So I said, okay. I was always hands off with my siblings. But if it comes from my, their nephew sending, you know, like they can't get mad. Their nephew sending them something. He's being cute, you know. So we send the menorah to each, uh, each like branch of the family. And they were all like, wow, thank you so much. It was so sweet of you. And they all send me pictures. They're like lighting the menorah. There's a Christmas tree in the background, like just like my upbringing. Um, and, and then like now, th- this is the three years since then. Three of my sisters are like, you know, lighting the menorah, like without any prompting from from me or my son, really, I should say. Um, and it's just like amazing, like even though whatever they consider themselves this, that, and the other, half this, half that. But we're talking eleven Jews that them and their kids could have been lost to Yiddishkeit forever. And because of this Mendy in Starbucks, right? This kid who wasn't even from anymore with his girlfriend. You know, there was something about growing up in Chabad that it's always like you can't take the Chabad out of a Chabadik, you know. And he's like. Yiddishkeit, Judaism, Rebbe, 770. And because of that interaction, now I have my siblings. Okay, they're not from, but they're doing mitzvahs, they're doing things. They're with their kids. So it's like now even their kids have this upbringing like, oh, we're like kind of like Jewish or something also, you know. Beautiful. Great story. And thank you for sharing a little bit more of that Hanukkah light uh, with us and the miracle of Hanukkah, the miracle of the light of the Jewish people that keeps going. And it's an awesome privilege to meet you. Let's get some fishing done. Here yeah. we're at the beautiful Miami shores. And uh, I always like this water because it touches the waters of the Mediterranean and then Eretz Yisrael, uh, which I miss so much. And we, of course, invite you to come and uh, bring some of that light to Eretz Yisrael. It's always it's calling you as well. And I see the uh, the sun going through your orange beard. And uh, it's, it's, it's Hanukkah. It's, it's, it's Ireland. It's, uh, it's, it's all together. It's awesome to be with you. And thank you so much. And I very much agree with what you said about the privilege of teaching the next generation. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal that they entrust you with that. And keep up the strength. May Hashem bless you and keep going that great path and the shlichut of the Rebbe. Amen, amen. All right, folks, you are listening to Shai Fleischer's show, boating in the Atlantic, learning about good people, great things, and the miracles that Hashem does for the Jewish people and to bring light to the world. Shalom. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show, and we're back. Uh, before I go on, I just really want to thank 
Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, Yocheved, and Lou for getting the show out to the world. Uh, I have an awesome team, and my awesome team uh, is partially volunteer and partially paid, and even those who are paid are really paid volunteers because they're really part of it. So a few things regarding that. First thing is, if you want to volunteer, if you want to be part of the Ishai Fleischer Projects team, the Kuma team, the Chevron team, let me know. Uh, write me an email, yishaifleischer.com. Everything from uh, SEO to... Uh, to supporter relations, to uh, writing content, to video production, uh, to graphics. Uh, we need a lot of stuff. So your help is always appreciated if you're any good at this stuff and, and want to spend some time uh, pushing forward the agenda of the Jewish people's return to the land of Israel and the Torah of the land of Israel to the world and the connection between the diaspora and Israel and keeping that strong. Uh, always turn, you know, if you have time, always turn to me and I would be really appreciative. Yishai, yishaifleischer.com. Uh, and also, if you don't have that, but you have means, and that means could be just as, as little as uh, five bucks a month, uh, you can buy me a cup of coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. And it's a great way to support the show and the things that we do. I do hope that you enjoyed Rabbi Devlin uh, and his story. I thought that was incredible, an incredible story. It was really moving to me. Uh, and he's a great talker. And I can't wait to... Uh, to see more of him, and he needs to take his trip to the land of Israel. You won't believe it, but he hasn't been yet. So let us pray that Rabbi Devlin uh, will soon get to the land of Israel and be blessed by the land of Israel and by the great knowledge of Torah that comes from just walking the land. Uh, as my friend Zev Ornstein says, uh, when you walk the places of the Bible, the Bible comes to life. Uh, and I think we could say that generally about a Jew walking the land of Israel, that, that the Torah comes to life. Um, Speaking of that, as we began the show, uh, there's a tension between the land of Israel, uh, the redemptive type of moment, and the diaspora, as I'm recording this show in Brooklyn, New York, and it is full-on Jewish. And on this trip, I've been to uh, uh, Dallas, very strong Jewish community, and very strong Bible-believing community, very strong. And I was very moved by the spirituality of Texas. Uh, from there, I went to uh, Florida, uh, southern Florida, you know, the whole Hollywood and, and, uh, and Boca Raton, but actually I wasn't in Boca. Uh, it was more, um, what's that called? Bal Harbor and that whole area. Aventura, very impressive Jewish world and very beautiful place in terms of the nature and the sea. Then I got here, no, then I went to Nevada and I was in uh, Vegas for 24 hours, including a walk through the slot machine area in the Paris Hotel just because I had to go get a car rental. It was in the Paris Hotel, so that was pretty cool. Um, and then, where else was I? Let me turn on this AC a little bit. And then where else was I? Oh, I'm here in this office in Brooklyn, New York for just less than, uh, less than uh, I don't know, I guess 18 hours until I, until I fly out of here. Um, and that dichotomy of diaspora in Israel is very much alive in the Torah portion of Vayechi, where we see the, the very end of the book of Genesis of Bereshit, and it's the end of Yaakov's life, and his life was a hard life, and yet ends in a kind of sweetness, which is this time with his children and the Anacles, the grandchildren, hanging out in what I call the Boca years. Um, but, um, but, but those years also end with prophecies and visions of what the future will bring, including the realization that there's going to be a great and dark uh, um, um, bondage, enslavement that the Jewish people are going to feel there. And let's just uh, hit a few important points here. 
the beginning of the Torah portion of Vayichi, incredibly striking, uh, because we have here the only other um, example and instance of this oath that's administered with a hand under the thigh, with a hand under the thigh. Uh, and this is that moment where Yaakov calls his son Yosef, who is the viceroy of Egypt, and he makes a request of him to bury him, to bury Yaakov in the land of Israel when he dies. Um, but then he also makes, Yaak- uh, makes Yosef take an oath by putting his hand underneath his thigh. Uh, some explanations, even mainstream explanations, explain that this is holding on to the private parts. Um, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's the meaning of the text. I, I, it's not that I don't think so. That's not what the perush that I'm, that I'm comfortable with. Uh, I much more feel that, that putting the hand under the thigh, and I've practiced it with my kids. I've actually asked them, and I've, I've said this before in my show, that you could, you could sit down in a chair and then ask your child to sit, kind of kneel before you and put his hand under your thigh. They could feel the weight of, um, of the being of the person, the blood. You know, the thigh is where the blood is. And it's really the, 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 a, very, a very kind of meaty, pulsating life part of the body. And what I mean by that is to say that, like, you could really feel the weight. And then the person is kind of under you, feels your heat, and feels your uh, commanding uh, and that's what Yaakov is doing to Yosef. Some people explain, and I think very truthfully, very, very uh, um, uh, convincingly is what I meant, is that in fact, uh, at this time, immig- emigration from the land, immigration and immigration from the land of Israel, uh, land of Egypt, was uh, very limited. It was very much controlled uh, by uh, the Pharaoh. And therefore, um, getting Yaakov's tomb out, excuse me, uh, funeral casket, his, 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 his body, out of Egypt was a big deal. Was, he had to get permission for that. So Yaakov makes Yosef take an oath so that he has an excuse to give Pharaoh. And this also fits into what I said uh, last week's show and the week before that, which is uh, the weeks before that, which is that, that Pharaoh's dream is to swallow, swallow up uh, the Jewish people. And therefore, uh, and therefore, he doesn't want to let them out to be buried in the land of Israel. Uh, and yet, Yosef makes this request. And uh, what's going to happen is that at the end of the Torah portion, the uh, request is fulfilled with that promise being fulfilled of the Jewish family bringing Yaakov back to the land of Israel and to be buried in Marat Machpelah. And that's the last they're going to see of the Marat Machpelah for hundreds of years of enslavement. So it's a very poignant moment, okay? Um, and uh, and, and he, there's a great verse here. Let's read it. Uh, chapter 47, verse 30. Let me lay with my, with my forefathers. Carry me from Egypt. And bury me, there, bury me in their burial place. And Yosef said, And he said, I will do Yosef said, I'll do that what you, what you requested of me. Vayomer, and this is Yaakov now speaking, he shabali, swear to me, vayishabalo, and he swore to him. Vayishtachu Yisrael, and Yaakov bowed low at the head of the bed. Um, the other thing, that let's go to another puzzle that's very important, and that is uh, the famous story of the Blessings of the two sons of Yosef. Remember, Yosef gets a kind of double portion in that he's split into two and his sons both become tribes. 
and yet uh, Yaakov favors uh, um, um, Ephraim over Menashe by, by crossing his hands. But then their very famous verse, which we should all read together, which is verse uh, chapter 48, verse 16. Hamalach Hagoel Oti Mikolra, the angel who redeems me from all evil. May he bless the lads. And my name be called upon them. B'shem Avotai, in the name that of my forefathers, Avraham Yitzchak, Abraham and Isaac, Vidgularov, may they flourish greatly. Bekerev Haaretz in the land. Interestingly, um, I've got a thing for mixed metaphors. You're really not supposed to use mixed metaphors, and yet here he says, "May they flourish like fish in the land." But fish don't flourish in the land, do they? So it's like have some quality of the fish, but do it on the land. That's the meaning here, I think. Uh, in any case, uh, then, then there's going to be the famous sets of blessings that Yaakov has for uh, the sons, uh, his sons, including uh, putting the mantle of uh, kingship on Judah, Yehuda. And we understand that Yehuda is to be the one who is to be the leader, the king of the Jewish people. And all the other tribes have their, you know, powers, as we, you know, like, like Thundercat type powers. Everybody's got a power, uh, like the old, the, the old Japanese cartoons. Um, and some very beautiful ones, including, including Yosef, who's also, you know, the, the tension between the Yosef, the, 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 the messianic element of Joseph and the messianic element of Judah is a tension that's going to be continued throughout the generations. And really, uh, that tension is best expressed when they work together in harmony. When those two Mashiach energies work in harmony, they can do anything. And I'm, we're not going to go into that right now, but I, I cite a few examples, which is the number one example is when Joshua and Caleb uh, from, the ta- from the tribe of Ephraim and from the tribe of Judah work together in consonance uh, to... Uh, uh, to overcome the sin of the spies and to uh, enter the land of Israel finally. Um, then, one more time, Yaakov gives a whole story about the Marat Machpelah, where he wants to be buried. And he has a great line there, which is so moving. And I even printed this as a big poster in Hebron uh, this, uh, this past Chai Sarah. I love this verse very much. It's chapter 49, verse 31. That's where they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. That's where they buried uh, Yitzchak and Rivka, his wife. And that's where I buried Leah. Uh, and very moving uh, imagery of the essence of the Marat HaMachpelah, which is the couple dumb. It's about couples. It's not about... It's not about... Um, it's not about individual great men. It's about the couples that come together to to build a family. And finally, uh, the end of the Torah portion uh, is that uh, is that Yaakov adjures his brothers in the almost identical way as Yaakov adjures Yosef, so too Yosef will adjure his brothers. But instead of asking to be buried now in the land of Israel, he foresees uh, the enslavement, and foresees a redemption as well, and says, uh, when the time comes, pack me up as well. When you're packing up your belongings, bring me along. I'm coming with you. Take me. When you, hear the, when you hear the code words, 
Pakod Yif Code. When you hear, you know, login, Pakod, password, Yif Code. When you hear that unlock code, when you hear that, that launch code, uh, then you'll know that it's time to go to the land of Israel, time to receive the Torah at Sinai, and then the land of Israel, time to, to Exodus. It's really three steps. It's really Exodus, including the Red Sea, then to uh, Mount Sinai, and then to the land of Israel. Uh, take me with you. I'm coming with you. Don't leave me here. I'll stay here for now. My bones will stay here in order to give you um, energy to survive through this. But when it's time, take me with you. I'm coming with you. And that's the, the, basically the end of the book of Genesis, uh, the end of the book of Bereshit. Uh, the brothers uh, suspect when Yaakov dies, the brothers suspect that Yosef will now revenge, will take revenge. And he cries at their words because he knows that it is all from God and it's not, he's not going to take revenge. This is what was meant to be. And I guess he's crying at the lack of understanding of the others. And there's something very poignant about those tears. Like, you don't get it, do you? And, and you, mis- you still misunderstand me to this very day. You misunderstand my, my intentions and my powers and what I'm really supposed to be doing in this world. You're kind of playing it you know, straight and I'm playing a game of, uh, of a plan that needs to be executed, which is God's plan. That's the greatness uh, of, um, uh, of Yosef. There's also one more cameo, and that is when, uh, there's a lot of cameos, but one more cameo which I want to mention, which is uh, the um, blessing to the son Dan uh, that Yaakov gives. And this son is where Hashem, Hashem comes out, and it says, kiviti Hashem, For your redemption have I yearned for Hashem. And we use this, we use this uh, in many places. Do we say this uh, uh, verse? And sometimes we say it, um, uh, and then we say it backwards, which is, Hashem uh, kiviti. God, for your redemption, do we yearn? We yearn for your redemption, God. And we say that backwards and forwards. Uh, and this is an allusion to none other than the great biblical hero, Samson, Shimshon. Um, and not only did, did, did Yaakov pray to, uh, not only did he pray to help Shimshon succeed, but then he saw that he would die and that they would find his body and bury it, and that they would find it amongst that rubble. Um, and something very poignant about that, and the measure says he thought maybe he could be Mashiach, but then he saw that he would die. Who is the Samson character? Why does he fit in here? Uh, It's an amazing kind of uh, hint to the character of Samson. And I think in many ways to our time where where Israel is strong, but seemingly a little bit secular uh, and and even has an element of dying with the the Philistines until a, a, a new Messiah will arise. We'll talk about that at a later time. I'm really quite tired. I have not slept at all. Uh, last night, I uh, took the red eye from Vegas to New York, uh, slept for three and a half hours. That was my night's sleep. So you'll have to excuse me. But in any case, it is really, really fun to be with you. And the end of the Torah portion is about, is about the tomb of, of, of Joseph, which awaits redemption, buried and forgotten in Egypt, to that very moment where God remembers and God will call out his people and send his messenger. You know who that is our great teacher Moses, but that'll wait for next week. So again, I want to thank you folks so much for being with me. Lots of blessings from, well, from, from the energy of the land of blessings because this, this is the embassy of Hebron in uh, the diaspora here in Brooklyn. 
Uh, and I'm heading home tonight, Be'ezrat Hashem. So I want to send you blessings as a Jew heading to the land of Israel, which is also a very powerful state. And I want to write you, uh, I, want, I want to adjure you and ask you to write me an email, yishai at yishaifleischer.com. Remember, you could support the show, the show by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash yishai. That's a great way to support the show. Also check out our, our uh, projects, including the new uh, page that I just put up for the uh, biblical highway on yishaifleischer.com. I'd like to hear comments about that. Uh, and I want to thank again Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, Yocheved, and Lou for getting the show out to the NetWaves. So that's it, folks. Uh, shalom. And wish me blessings as I head home. Uh, and I wish I could be taking you with me. Or if you're already in the land of Israel, I can't wait to see you. Uh, and let us break through this uh, blockade that we're having which is the blockade that's stopping so many people from coming to the land of Israel. I personally think it's quite exaggerated, and I really would love to see uh, the gates much more open so that all of us could reconnect with the land of Israel, no matter where we are, no matter what we're, what we're up to, uh, to show our love and, and show our connection and pay homage to the God of Israel in Yerushalayim. So that's my blessing also for the state of Israel, that it'll open its gates up. And when we open those gates, we should make those gates beautiful. The gates of Yerushalayim should be beautiful. Every gate of Yerushalayim should be beautiful, including the roads leading into Yerushalayim. You should know that you're entering the great and awesome holy city. We should not take ourselves for granted. This is a great and awesome time, and we should treat it as such, and it should look as such. All right, we'll talk more about that at a different time. But again, blessings to you. Let me know what you think of the interview with Rabbi Devlin uh, about being growing up Catholic and becoming a Jew. I think it's a great segment. Uh, and I'm looking forward to more great segments with you wherever you are. God bless you. Thanks so much, and shalom. Every Sunday, join the Land of Israel Fellowship. This live, interactive Zoom experience is hosted by Jeremy Gimpel and Ari Abramowitz, with participants from around the world. Enhance your faith, deepen your understanding, align your destiny with the Land of Israel. To join, visit thelandofisrael.com slash fellowship. Inviting the world to learn Torah from Judea, a new cycle, a new world.